This is Chapter 5 in a series of media resources accompanying the Starting Point Conversation Guide. Once Upon a Time is a message series delivered at North Point Community Church by Andy Stanley. Where do you start when things seem out of control? This must have been God's thought when he looked at his creation and saw a big mess and lives broken seemingly beyond repair. In this message, Andy unpacks how God dealt with the situation by making an unbelievable promise to one man. Have you, uh, have you ever been responsible for cleaning up a mess that was so big you didn't even know where to begin? You ever had that opportunity, that challenge? I mean, one where you walked in and you thought, what's the point of even trying? This will, this will we'll never get all this put back together. Have you had that situation? We, um, years ago, before we sold our house, I think I did it. I'm not sure who did it. One of us in our family dropped a giant glass container of Tabasco sauce in the middle of the pantry and it sort of exploded up all three walls in the door and me and, and, and there was glass everywhere and I can remember just looking at the mess because there's glass and there's Tabasco or, or um, salsa rather and it's all over everything and I just wanted to close the pantry door and say honey it's time to move I mean I don't I don't even know how to start cleaning up that kind of a mess you ever had a situation recently we had some things painted in our home we just moved into a house and um, I'm in the basement with our five-month-old Labrador Retriever, who is all energy and no sense. And she comes running through the basement, and the basement's not finished, and she has a paintbrush in her mouth. And I thought, well, that's not, a, that's not a good sign. I knew the painters had been storing some things in the back of the basement, so I took the paintbrush and walked around there. And there was a gallon of white, oil-based, you know, that thick, oozing kind of paint she had knocked over. And there was a puddle about this big. How, how do you even start cleaning that up? And I just remember, th- I just didn't even know where to begin. The, the problem with, with, with a big mess is, is the difficult part is figuring out where to jump in. Because you, you have to figure out where to jump in. If you don't figure out where to jump in, you never jump in, you never clean up the mess. But if you try to take care of the whole mess at one time, you won't get anywhere. And so when you clean up a big mess, basically, you have to focus on the 1% and ignore the 99%. And you just have to jump in, you have to start. And you have to be a steady plotter. Otherwise, it will always be a mess. And you won't ever get anywhere. Now, obviously we did this on purpose, but you didn't know that. <laughs> can you imagine, can you even imagine, as God looked down on this perfect earth that he had made and saw the mess, the frustration he must have felt? That every time a child was born, the mess got worse. And every time another baby was born, sin continued to spread. And sin spread throughout the earth like a cancer. Where do you start? Where do you begin? How, if you plan to send a worldwide redeemer into the world, how do you even get the world's attention? Nobody cares. Nobody even knows they need a redeemer. Nobody even knows there's a mess but you. And just like I would have been, it would have been easy for me to shut the pantry door and say, Honey, let's move. I, I, there had to be at some point in God's thoughts and his mind as he looked at the mess that had been created because of sin. Maybe he thought to himself, Let's just hang a big condemn sign over the whole thing and go somewhere else. But the Bible tells us that in spite of the mess and in spite of the frustration, in spite of the hurt and the pain, God decided to clean it up. But he had to do what every single one of us does when he cleans up a mess. He had to start somewhere. He had to start with the percentage in order to ever clean up the whole. And the book of Genesis tells us exactly how God did that. God decided that in order to bring a a redeemer for the world... Somehow he had to get the world's attention. 
And in order to get the world's attention, he decided he needed a nation. A nation that the whole world would look at and think, wow, look at that nation. And in that day, of course, whenever there was a powerful nation, it was always associated with a powerful God. And so God decided to just work with the culture. And he decided he needed a nation whose God was so powerful that all the rest of the countries and nations of the world would say, wow, their God must be the real God. But God didn't do what you and I would do because at that point, I mean, this is an emergency. I mean, people are dying and are going to spend eternity apart from God. This is a big mess and something needs to be done and something needs to be done now. But God in his characteristic way didn't go find an existing nation. He decided he would start a nation. Now, that's a little bit like calling 911 and then telling you they'll be there as soon as they manufacture an ambulance. You know, no, no, you don't understand. This is emergency. Something needs to be done now. And God looked at this sin-filled world and he understood what each of us understands when it comes to cleaning up a mess. You have to start somewhere. And you cannot allow the size of the mess to intimidate you. So God did as God would do. God decided to start a nation. But unlike us, he didn't start with a popular man or even a king. He went and found an unknown man with a wife who couldn't have any children. And then to top it all off, he came to him and he said, Abraham... I want you to move away from your entire sphere of influence. In other words, I want you to go to a place where nobody will know your name. You will be a nobody. You will have absolutely no influence. No kids and no influence. That's how I want to start. Now, isn't that that what you would have done? Somebody who doesn't have any children, who probably can't have any children, move him to a place where he has no influence to start the nation to influence the world. See, this is one reason I don't think anybody made this story up. I believe it's true. We would not have written the story this way. And yet we learn a lot of wonderful things about God in the story of Abraham. Because God decided, if I'm going to clean up this mess, I have to start somewhere. And we don't know why, but he reached down into this mess. And he said, Abraham, I'm going to start with you. And through you, I'm going to clean up. The whole mess. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11. Here you go, Andrew. I told my kids, you're going to love the illustration this morning. I said, you just can't eat them until the service is over. Just fill your pockets. Genesis, Genesis chapter 11. We're going to begin with verse 27. Genesis 11:27. And in the passage today, here's what we find out. That God, as he chooses this one person, he makes Abraham a promise, and then he makes Abraham an example for all of us. So there's not only a promise that we see fulfilled even in our day and age, but we see a relationship that's begun and a model for relationship that's the model for our relationship with God as well. Let's talk first about the promises. Genesis 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, who later became Abraham. Nahor and Haram, Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishka. Now, don't try to figure all that out. The point is, this isn't a fairy tale. These were real people, and this was their genealogy. Now, Sarai, and this is like the big... point in the story, Sarai was barren. And then to emphasize this, and this is a writing style, they repeat it in a different way. She had no children. 
Well, duh, you know, you've already said that once. But this is the way that the author and this is the way that the writer emphasized things by repeating it. She was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson, and his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur to the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. And then for some reason we do not know... God focused in on this one lone man, Abram. And here's what he said, chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country. That is, leave everything you know, leave your entire realm of influence, and worse than that, and leave your people and your father's household and go to the land that I will show you. In other words, don't take anything with you that's familiar. Don't take anybody with you that's familiar. In other words, I'm going to, other than just recreating the world, I'm going to go as far as I can to just starting over without actually starting completely over. And then look what God said to Abraham. And he made him some promises and he said this, verse 2. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And get this. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him, which he should not have. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out. I want us to look real quickly at these three promises. And this is so significant. At the end of this message, I hope I can really point to the significance of this for you. Because depending on how you were raised and depending on how you view God, this could be a major, major paradigm shift in your whole understanding of God. Because God shows up at a time, understand this, where he wasn't really saying that much. God shows up at a time where there was no Bible. No one understood anything about God other than there's something here and that's all we know. There were lots of cults, cultic practice, child sacrifice all kinds of strange religions, but God, the true God, had not spoken, had not revealed himself. There was no written word. People just kind of lived their lives and hoped they could figure it out. And when God finally decided to plop down, he didn't plop down into the life of necessarily the most righteous person because nobody even knew what righteous was then. He plopped down in the life of a nobody with no potential and then moved him out of his circle of influence and made him these promises. The first promise he said was this. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm just curious. Do you know what nation that, that Abraham eventually became? Does anybody know? Israel. Right. Anybody ever heard of Israel? Just heard of Israel? Right. You're right. So just think. 4,000 years ago, God made a promise to a man who knew nobody. He said, I'll make you a great nation. And here we are 4,000 years later. And we're all familiar with that nation. That's interesting. The next he said, I will make your name great. I'm just, just curious. Before you came in today, how many of you had heard of Abraham? Before, before you, you came today, you'd heard of Abraham? Yeah, most of us had heard of Abraham. Isn't that interesting? 4,000 years ago, God shows up to nobody and says, I'm going to make your name great. And 4,000 years later, we're talking about him. That's an interesting coincidence. Look at the last one. And all... Before you do that, let me ask you this. You heard of Abraham. Had you... Before you came in, anybody know who Eshcol was? Eshcol? Know the story of Eshcol? Okay, how about Zoar, king of Bela? Anybody know the story of Zoar, king of Bela? Now, you laugh, but back in Abraham's days, these were, these were important people. And I can hardly say this one. Shedor Laomer, he was the king of Edom. Anybody know his story? See, if you lived in the day of Abraham, you would have known these guys. 
And you would have said, who's Abraham? Oh, he's the Bedouin guy. That his, his group traveled through here out to the desert somewhere. I, I, he'll never amount to anything. And yet God, instead of choosing a king, God, instead of choosing a founded nation, God, instead of choosing someone who had a sphere of influence and popularity, chose a nobody to begin a nation, to redeem the world. And look at this last promise. He said, and all peoples, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Or literally, it says this, all peoples will be blessed in you. And what God does in these opening chapters of the life of Abraham is so powerful. God outlines his whole plan of redemption. It's as if he's saying, look, Abraham, nobody knows this but you. Keep a lid on it. Nobody knows this but you. But I'm not done. Your, your, your people have made it a colossal mess. And I've got to start somewhere. So, Abraham, I spun the, you know, I threw the dice. I, you know, spun the wheel. And you just came up. There's no special reason. I've got to start somewhere. So, I picked you. And, Abraham, here's the plan. I'm going to make you an entire nation, and through that nation, it's going to be a great nation. Other nations will look at the nation that's coming from you, the nation of Israel, and say, wow, there must be a God, because look at that nation. I'm going to confound the other nations with the power I'm going to demonstrate through Israel, the nation that's coming from you. And Abraham, your name will be great. Did you know that that most Arabs, all Jews, and all Christians say their roots started with Abraham? Imagine how many people that represents. All Christians, all Jews, and most Arabs say that their nation, their religion, their belief started with Abraham. I'd say his name became pretty great, wouldn't you? And God says, here's the outline. You're going to be a great person. There's going to be a great nation. And then when I'm ready, Abraham, when I'm ready, I'm going to, I'm going to bring all of this together because from you and from this nation, there is going to be a someone, he shall, tells him later. There's going to be a someone, and through that someone, all the families of the world, All the peoples of the world will be positively impacted through you, through the nation, and through the one who comes from your seed. In other words, 4,000 years ago, God announced his plan to redeem mankind. 4,000 years ago, God announced and outlined to Abraham his plan to redeem you and to redeem me. And 2,000 years after this was written, the Apostle Paul understood the significance of these verses. And in the book of Galatians, here's what he says. We'll throw this up on the screen for you. The Apostle Paul, writing um, to a group of Christians, said it this way. Can we put that first verse up there? Here we go. It says, The Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, in other words, the Scripture foreseeing this, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. In other words, Paul, 2,000 years later, 2,000 years ago from where we are, understood that in these verses we just read that God was announcing beforehand the gospel. They preached the gospel beforehand, saying to Abraham, all nations will be blessed in you. That through the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of Abraham, all the nations of the earth had the potential to be blessed through this man Abraham. And God announced it as soon as he began the plan. As soon as he started and said, I'm going to clean up this mess. I'm not going to abandon this race. And you need to know up front, here's the plan. Your name's going to be great. Your nation is going to be great. And through you, there will come one through whom all the nations of the world will be blessed. To which Abraham could have said, Why are you doing that? I mean, why me? Why a nation? Why even clean it up? Just sell the house. Just start over. Why? To which God would have said, and this is what you need to hear. Because I love you. And you're my prized creation. And I'm not going to let you get away that fast. 
I'm not going to let you slip through my fingers. And yes, it's a colossal mess, and I don't know how long it will take to clean it up. But I'm committed to starting. And Abraham, you're the first piece in the puzzle. See, I don't know what you think about the Bible, if you believe the Bible or not, but let me just tell you something you can't get away from. 4,000 years ago, or maybe you don't believe you know, it's 4,000 years old. Maybe you think it's only 3,000 years old. But nobody thinks it's any less than 3,000 years ago. So you, you just choose whenever you think Abraham lived. A long, long, long time ago, a man says that God showed up and said to him, I'm going to make your name great and make you a great nation, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And guess what, folks? It happened. You all knew about Abraham before you got here. You all knew about the nation of Israel before you got here. And most of us in this room could raise our hands today and say, you know what? My personal life and my family has been impacted by the man Abraham, the man to whom God made that awesome promise. Isn't that incredible? It's incredible. Then it goes on and even gets better. Because then not only does Abraham serve as a, as a person to whom God made promises to, God also makes Abraham an example for all of us about how he wants to establish a relationship with mankind. Now, before we look at these next verses, I, I, my fear is that I'm going to under-communicate the significance of these verses. <clears throat> Understand, okay, in this culture, nobody knew anything about God, Okay. There was no Bible. There were no Ten Commandments. If, if somebody said, hey, you shouldn't kill her, they might say, well, why not? You'd say, well, I don't really even know. Go ahead. And, I mean, they just didn't know. There was no law. There was a very, very ancient kind of culture. Nobody knew anything. Nobody could say, well, I don't think God would be very happy with that. Well, how do you know? Well, I, I don't know. We just, God has been silent. And so when God first broke the silence, and when God first began to establish a relationship with mankind, or reestablish a relationship with mankind, here's how he did it. Listen, he didn't show up at Abraham's door and say, Abraham, before we get started, understand, here's ten things you better never do. He didn't start with commandments. He started with promises. He started with a request. Abraham, you got to trust me. I know you don't know me. I, 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 know, I, I know that there's not a lot to go on, but Abraham, here's what I'm I'm not asking you to do a lot of things, but I am asking you to do this one thing. Abraham, will you trust me? Because Abraham, if you trust me, together we're going to lay a groundwork and a foundation that will impact the whole world forever. But you've got to trust me. I want you to turn over to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15. Because in Genesis chapter 15, God makes Abraham an example and establishes the pattern by which he has chosen to have a relationship with all of us. The story continues. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. It says, after this... Now, let me tell you what this is, because this was, this was huge. Remember Lot, the guy that went with Abraham? He took his family. Abraham should have never taken Lot. God said, don't take anybody with you. And Abraham said, well, I'll just take Lot. You know, Lot doesn't have anything else to do. So Lot and his family went. Well, Lot was constantly getting Abraham into trouble. It's a fascinating story. And one thing that happened, Lot and his family got captured by these kings. These four kings came together, and they made a war with five other kings, and the five lost, and the four won. And so they carted Lot and all of his family off into captivity to make them slaves. Abraham hears about it, and he pulls his guys together. He gets 300 men, and he says, you know, you know this, is just, this isn't a good thing. We can't let our relatives be taken off into captivity. So he and his 300 and some guys sneak down one night into this camp and basically attack 
four kings and their armies and rout them. They scare them to death at night. They take Lot and all of his sheep and stuff, and they bring it back, and they set Lot free. And it's a wonderful thing. But when it's all said and done, and you can relate to this in some small way, when all is said and done, Abraham's sitting around going, what have I done? I have just angered four kings. There are four kings in their countries and their armies who hate me. And I'm not a country. I'm a nothing. I'm just a nomad with a bunch of guys wandering around in land trying to figure out where to live. What in the world have I done? So now Abraham's kind of reconsidering going, oh, no. And he's afraid. And so God appears to him. And he says, it says, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is a laser of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So God's saying, Don't worry, don't worry, I'm going to take care of everything. And Abraham's thinking, Well, I need to remind you of this, but so far you haven't taken care of anything. You know, I'm not a nation yet. I keep waking up thinking I'm going to walk out of my tent and I'll be a nation. I'm not a nation. I don't have any children. I'm getting older, and now you're telling me, don't be afraid. You know, I, you know, I'm, I, I want to believe. I want to believe, but you've got to give me something to go on. <laughs> so look what happens. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then he took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so he takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. Remember that story? You've heard this when you were a child. And he says, that's how many children, Abraham, you're going to have. And, and then listen, 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 listen. And in that moment, as Abraham is staring at the stars, Abraham makes a decision. He decides I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe this. Don't have a lot to go on. It seems impossible. It is impossible. If anybody even knew I was putting my hopes in the, you know, a vision of being having sons and a nation, they would think I'm crazy. But I'm going to trust them. And the Bible says that in that moment, something happened. Don't miss it. Don't look ahead. That in that moment, something happened that had never before happened in the history of mankind. That establishes the pattern for relationship with God forevermore. Look at the next verse. Abram, verse 6, believed the Lord. And he, that is God, credited it to him as righteousness. That in that moment when Abraham said, God... I believe your promise. God said, because you have believed, I now give you as a gift a righteous standing with me. You are now considered by me a righteous man. Not because of anything you have done, but because you have chosen to put your faith in me. And folks, don't miss this. And herein was established the way to have relationship with God. No law, no Ten Commandments, no thou shalt, no thou shalt not. That comes later as we'll see next week. But initially, God's introduction to relationship with man was, Abram, because you have believed and accepted my promises as true, I am giving you a righteous 
standing with me. You have not earned it. You have not deserved it. But I so long to clean up this mess. And I so long to, re, to re-enter the world of man. And I so long to have a relationship with man. I've made it as easy as I know how to make it. There is no way you can fix the mess yourself. You can't clean yourself up. You can't make yourself righteous. But if in faith you will simply believe that I'm who I am, and if you will simply believe and put your trust in my promises, that's all you have to do to have a righteous standing. With me. And following that event, God establishes a covenant with Abram. And animals die and blood is spilled. And once again, it foreshadows the fact that one day there will come a final payment for sin. And under that blood, we will all be able to stand and receive a righteous relationship with God through the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? This was 2,000 years before Jesus ever showed up. It's unbelievable. Here's what I want you to hear. Relationship with God, it comes by faith. It comes by trust. That what God wants most from us is to trust Him. Now, what happened after that? You'll have to go home and read the details, but here's what happened. Finally, Abraham has a son. Remember his son's name? The son of his name? What is it? Isaac, right, he finally has some Isaac, he's 100 years old, and you know, Sarah just laughs at the idea, and these angels come, it's a great story, you've got to read it. They have a son, Isaac, but hey, that's not exactly a nation, you know, how's the nation going? Well, it's kind of slow, you know, we have a, you know, one person in that nation, what are we going to call this nation, I don't know. So Isaac is born, and then Isaac has a son, anybody remember Isaac's son? They had a couple sons, but the famous one is Jacob, good, his son Jacob. Meanwhile, now don't miss this, meanwhile, guess who dies? Abram dies. And when he died, he wasn't a nation. And when he died, his name wasn't great. And when he died, all the families of the earth hadn't been blessed through him. When he died, the promises had not been fulfilled. But God was still in the process of fulfilling the promises. Well, anyway, so Jacob, he has a bunch of sons. Now we're starting to get nation status. He has 12 sons. And they all get married and they have sons. And meanwhile, because of this incident, you need to read about, the entire family ends up in the nation of Egypt. I mean, they're not even in the land God took them to anymore. They end up in Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, they begin to multiply like rabbits. I mean, they're just, it's unbelievable. They become a nation, not on their own soil, but in Egypt. And while they're in Egypt, the Pharaoh looks out one day and he says, you know what? These Hebrews, there are, if, we, if this keeps going, there are going to be more of them than us. And we've got to do something about it. You remember the story. And finally, a Pharaoh came along who did not know the descendants of Abraham and did not know about Joseph and did not know that whole wonderful story. And he decided to enslave the entire nation. <laughs> See, we wouldn't have written it this way because we don't want God to act this way. Just when things are going good, just when we finally reach nation status, when it finally looks like Abraham's going to come through and God's going to come through and fulfill the promise, when it looks like things are going to work out, hey, we're a nation, hey, we're a slave nation, far, far away from the land that God has promised. And for 400 years, 400 years, See, the reason that I wouldn't have written it this way and we don't want God, because if I have a prayer request on Monday, (laughs) right? If I feel like God has made me a promise on Saturday, 400 years, they're a slave nation. Abraham's name is not great. 
Israel's name is not great. Their God's name is not great. And there's no way in the world, the nation in the world is going to be blessed through the slave nation of Israel. And yet, as we find out next week, God's got them just where he wants them. Because if he's going to have a nation that attracts the attention of the world, then he must position that nation in such a way that the world sits up and takes notice. Isn't that unbelievable? Now, maybe you don't believe the Bible, but you've got to read this stuff. It's unbelievable. How in the world do you explain this? Now, we're going to pick up with that next week. Let me tell you what I think we learned from the life of Abraham that I, I think is so critical for all of us. Here it is, and we're going to finish with this. Do, do, you, know what, do you know what God taught Abraham and modeled for Abraham that, that we all need to come away with? Do you know what God wants from you and what he wants from me? He wants the same thing from you and the same thing from me that he wanted from Abraham. Do you know what he wants? He wants our trust. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to walk out one day and look up at the stars and say, God, I believe and I trust you. And yes, it doesn't seem possible that you'd ever you know, put my life back together. It doesn't seem possible that I'd ever be able to get out of these habits. It doesn't seem possible that I'd ever be able to get my life back together. God, it doesn't seem possible, but God... I trust you. God, it doesn't seem like I could ever go to heaven. If I, have to, if I look at all the things I've done, all the things I've promised to do, all the pain and the hurt, God, I can't imagine that I would ever make it to heaven with God. I trust you. And, and do you know why God wants your trust more than he wants anything else? Because he wants a relationship with you. And trust paves the way to relationship. It is very difficult to have a relationship with someone who won't trust you. Have you ever tried that? It's also very difficult to have a relationship with someone you don't trust. You ever tried that? And God says, look, I'm just in this for one thing. I have gone to great lengths. I have gone to great trouble. You won't believe what I've had to go through in order to clean this up. And all I want from you initially is for you to simply look at me and say, God, I trust you. I believe. With me, you say, but God, you don't know what I've done. God says, well, look at Abraham. What did he do? Nothing. In fact, Abraham's life is full of failures. He was an incredible coward. I mean, read the story about his marriage. You think your marriage is bad? Read the story about Abraham and Sarah. They're constantly lying, saying, she's my sister, you can have her, we're leaving. He did that twice. And then she says, hey, go sleep with my handmaiden, and, you know, you can sleep with her. I mean, it's like about an open marriage. They had the most bizarre marriage in the world. And this is the guy that God says, you know what, Abraham? You're going to be great. Your nation's going to be great. And through you, you coward, through you, You inconsistent, unrighteous man, through you, the world will be blessed. And Abraham said, I believe. And God said, and that's what I'm looking for. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. What do you have a hard time trusting God with? What's the area? For some of you, it's salvation. You've never said, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I believe you, God. You've never done that. For some of you, it's more specific. For some of you, it's your finances. You know, you're all into Sunday school and blah, 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 and go to church. But when it comes to your money, God, I, you, know, God, you know, you're smart, but I don't know if you're smart as me when it comes to money. I don't know if I can trust you. For some of you, it's marriage. God, I know what you say about marriage. If I start doing marriage your way, I'm afraid she's going to run all over me. I don't know if I can trust you. God, I know what you say about marriage, but I, if I do marriage your way, I'm afraid he'll run all over me. I don't know if I can trust you. God, I don't know if I can trust you. With my children. I don't know if I can trust you with my career. I know how you'd want me to do business and honesty and all that integrity stuff, and it all looks good on paper. But God, in my industry, I'm not sure it will work. I don't know if I can 
trust you with that. What's the area or what are the areas of your life where you just have a difficult, difficult time saying, God, I believe. And let me tell you what you miss out on when you hold out on God. You know what you miss out on? You miss out on relationship because you can't have a relationship with someone you won't trust. And what this is all about isn't simply getting your marriage better or getting your finances better or getting your kids better. I mean, that's all secondary. What God is after, think about it, what he has spent thousands of years preparing the way for is a relationship with you to where you can walk out at night of your house or condominium apartment and look up at the stars and say, God, with my whole life, as much as I don't understand, I just want you to know, bottom line, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you with my marriage and my finances and my home and my future and my kids and their future and their friends and all these things. God, I just want you to know. You may not fulfill the promises the way I want them fulfilled and you may not fulfill them in my lifetime, but I want you to know. I'm like Abraham. I trust you. And when you do that, you have paved the way and established the way for a relationship with the God who loves you so much that when the world fell apart, he said, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. They are that important to me. Here's how I want us to close the service today. <clears throat> Todd's going to come out and sing an incredible, incredible song. Before he does that, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes in just a minute, and I'm going to ask you and ask God to bring to your mind and to my mind <clears throat> that area or those areas where the truth is we're just holding out. We're just not trusting God. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Lord, I want to be like Abraham. I want to be able to trust you. And God, I'm like Abraham in that I'm scared to death. Because if I say, God, there's my marriage, or there's my family, or there's my future, or there's my college education, or there's my career, or, you know, God, if I say that, I don't know what's going to happen, and I'm scared to death, but God, If this is the avenue to having a relationship with you, I want that worse than whatever it is I might lose by trusting you with it. So here's what I'm going to ask you to pray. Lord, bring me to the place to where I'm able to trust you with this.